You know, uh, you've kind of gone beyond middle age when you have a backup pair of reading glasses, okay? You just never know what can happen. Well, uh, good morning. You guys look great. But then again, we already talked about my eyesight issues. Um, I'm Dave, and uh, I'm just glad to be with you guys today. I'm children and family pastor here, and occasionally they'll let me up here to share with you guys, and I don't take it lightly. I'm very excited. I want to share something that many of you were a part of the other night. We had our night for a princess. So last Friday night, a couple nights ago, 150 dads and their little girls came out together and enjoyed a banquet, a ball, activities, photos, and even a little bingo. So, uh, you know, it was a beautiful night, and it was just so great. So many of the dads in this congregation and our friends just bought their, brought their little girls who were just dressed to the hilt, and it was just a great night that we spent together. It's one of my favorite nights of the year, and I just want to uh, just celebrate. Thank you all for bringing your daughters. Some of you brought your granddaughters. Some of you brought your nieces. It was just a great evening together. I love that night, and my girls are too old to bring now. So they each texted me during the night for a princess telling me some of their memories, and so they're off at college, um, but it's fun to be able to do it for other people. When I was a kid, I was not a princess. I didn't want to be a princess. I wanted to ride my bike until the streetlights came on, and then I came home, and that's kind of what I did. Just be home for supper. When the street lights come on, come on home for supper. And that's what we did. That's back when we called dinner supper. And back before there were any cell phones and street lights actually were on timers. So that was last century for all you young folk. <clears throat> and my friend Mark Fazek and I, we would ride our bikes everywhere, man. And, and uh, we would ride them hard. We would ride them fast. And it was great. One time we were riding. Uh, down by Weller's Creek, which is a place that we love to go by because we would park our bikes and go down to the creek. And just before we got there, we blew through an intersection and we heard a police siren. And so we moved to get out of the way and the police actually pulled us over (laughs) on bicycles for running through a stop sign. And I'm like, seriously? I mean... You know, even in my little nine-year-old way, I'm kind of thinking, do you have anything better to do? I mean, is this really what's going on here? And uh, he pulled me over and he said, "Um, yeah, you can't, that's a stop sign. And I said, well, that's for cars. I don't know anything about stop signs. Nobody ever taught me that. You know, I got to be home. I got to be home in a couple hours. Are we, are we done? You know, and he said, no. Uh, And he said, you stay right here by your bicycle. And he went back and wrote me a citation. And I had to go to this thing called bicycle court. I didn't know there was any such thing as bicycle court. So I went there. My dad took me to bicycle court, and it was above the police station. And I felt a little bit of camaraderie with my other, you know, my fellow uh, lawbreakers in the room. Um, But I just wanted to get out of that place as quickly as I possibly could. And they were going to, it was actually, you know, it was my first official crime that I had committed. It was the first one that I got caught for by the law, actually. May or may not be the first one ever committed, but it probably was the last one. Um, they said if I would write a hundred words on why that was a bad idea and that I would never do that again, that they would relieve me of my fine. And so I did that. Well, many, many years ago, Jesus was walking along the lake. You know, As we've read Bible stories to our kids growing up, our kids kind of came up with this observation. 
Jesus liked to be at the beach a lot. Seems like a lot of his teaching, he was either in the water, at the water's edge, on the water, or at the beach. And Jesus liked being at the beach. He liked being at the lake. He liked being in the water. He liked going to parties, and he liked hanging out with friends. And those are some of the things that intrigued me about Jesus. I kind of like some of the things that he likes. Well, Jesus came up intentionally to these two fishermen. One of them was named Simon, and he came up to Simon, and he, who was getting his nets ready, and, si- and he said, Simon, follow me. Simon looked at Jesus, and the Bible says that he immediately dropped his nets, left everything, and followed Jesus. Now, at this point, we don't know, uh, I don't get the idea that they had ever met Jesus before, but they had probably heard about him. So as Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. So they followed Jesus immediately. They left their nets and followed him. What was it about Jesus' presence that made them drop everything? Now, this isn't just like guys in Wisconsin that say fishing is life. No, this fishing was their life. Fishing was their livelihood. The more fish they caught, The more they cleaned, the more they could sell, the better they could live. They could survive by fishing. This was their life. They were blue-collar, hard-working, coarse-talking fishermen. That's what they did. That's who they hung with. And who is this barging into this situation? Who is this coming into our break room, our locker room? Who does he think he is coming over here and not only asking us to do something, but telling us to do something, to follow me? And these guys did it. Immediately, they dropped their nets, and they left them, and they followed him. They left their life to follow Jesus. I, that's astounding. I just, I can't wait to meet Jesus someday, because I want to see face-to-face what was so astounding that he could go up to guys like this and change their life forever. So back to me on the bicycle in the courtroom. Oh, sure, you pay attention to that part. <laughs> you know, the police officer saw that I was going to be a future vehicle driver. And he said, in his mind, I'm guessing, if he doesn't learn about obeying the laws now, this could be dangerous, not only for him, but for the other drivers and other people, if he doesn't stop at stop signs when he gets his license. So the police officer saw future me. And so he was trying to make some corrections here so that future me would be a better driver and more attentive to the laws. Jesus saw... Not Simon, not fishermen, but Jesus said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. I will make you fishers of men. Jesus didn't casually go up to them. He intentionally went up to them. He spoke into their future and he spoke into their destiny. And that was the authority and the commanding presence of Jesus that they dropped everything and saw something greater. Jesus sees something greater. He sees something future that he wants to do with us But the cool part is, is he doesn't wait until we get to future me to accept us. He accepts us right here as we are. And so this morning, uh, the title of the message is called, what is it called? Taking faith to the next level. That is not me up there. I would not be carrying a hockey stick at that level. Taking faith to the next level. We're in a room full of people here. Each one of us have a different level of our faith where some of us aren't even a part of faith. Some of us aren't even sure that God is legit. Some of us have been 
have been following God, coming to church for a long, long time, and uh, I don't know where we're at today. I don't know where each one of us are at, but I want to present to you something today and encourage, not encourage, exhort, persuade you to do something greater for God. But here's the deal. When I was in high school, I had two, there were two types of speeches that we learned, the informative speech and the persuasive speech. I want to give you an informative speech today. I want to share with you my relationship with this man, Jesus. And I believe that his spirit is going to persuade each one of us in this room to take our faith to the next level. And I just want you to be ready for that. So uh, why don't we pray, shall we? You don't have to clear your throat. I'll do the praying. (laughs) God, thank you very much for this wonderful day. Thank you for the family of God that we are here gathered with today. I thank you for my brothers, my sisters, for the people that I know, for the people that I don't know. God, we need you. We come here today with our baggage, with our hopes, with our dreams. We come here with our stuff, our to-do list. We come here with our family. We come here because we got dragged here. We come here because we wanted to get service out of the way so that we could hit the brunch. Whatever reason that we're here, God, we're here. Would you allow this to be a sanctuary moment for each one of us that we would meet with Jesus personally and that you would help us take our faith to the next level? In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so... When Jesus was talking to Peter, he was basically communicating to Simon Peter. Not only do I want to save your soul from hell, but I want to change the world for good, and I want to use you to make that happen. Here's the deal. God created us in his image. He saw us. He looked at us. And on that week of creation, he said, this is very good. However, we couldn't follow the simple instructions that were given to us. Adam and Eve, the first two people that he created, he gave them one instruction of something not to do, and they could do anything else on the entire planet, and they did the one, they did the naughty thing. Well, it wasn't just naughty, it was bad, it was sin. And so then they were afraid and ashamed in front of God. The first two people on the planet, so they decided, let's have a family, maybe they'll do better. Well, their first two sons didn't care for each other very much, and one killed the other one. So the first two people God created disobeyed the one rule that he gave them, the third and fourth people ended up killing each other, and, uh, and that's the lucky lot that you and I stem from. So, they rebelled, they sinned, they did things their own way instead of following the simple request that God had made of them. The downward spiral of sin was now in motion, and the demise of selfish mankind was upon us. And now all of us have been born into this fallen condition. So, just so you know, in case you're like a checklist person, like when's this dude going to be done? We're going to want to tell you five things today, okay? It's going to take me an hour and a half to do it, but you can count me down, all right? First one, and they all start with C, just in case my, my preaching teacher's listening. <clears throat> conviction, realizing our need for God. Realizing our need for God, it's conviction. Like when I was convicted of that crime, I was pulled over, I couldn't get out of it, I had to go to court and I had to get out of that situation and have it nullified and made, made right. And so I did that. We need to be convicted of our sin. It is not that we're just living naughty or that we're doing stuff that maybe we shouldn't do, but there's something real at stake. We are sinners, and God is to be revered. He is awesome. He is perfect and holy, and we are sinful. 
And we cannot enter into his presence because of our sin, and that's bad news. The wages of sin, what we earn for our sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So we have eternal life, but it's only through Jesus. We need to repent. We need to stop going down our sinful way and enter into God's way, enter into his forgiveness, rightness with God, and then we can be friends with the one who made us. That is good news. So we need to realize that our need for God is legit. And if we do not know God and this life comes to an end and we have not asked him to be our savior, to rescue us from our sin and our selfishness, to forgive us, then we are going to be separated with him in a dark and painful place for a very long time. And I do not want to be, I don't like darkness, I don't like pain, and I don't like being away from God. God is good, and he is for us, not against us. Come as you are. This is an adventure into self-awareness, being justified, just as if I had never sinned. That bicycle ticket went off my record, my, my nine-year-old record that I was so proud of, and... Uh, They didn't even give me something to hang on the wall as a pride symbol, you know, but that's good. See, God doesn't want us to carry our sin as pride. pride. He wants us to be proud in who he is so that he can be the center of attention in our lives. My need is for Jesus. And his rescue, I'll tell you what, you might say, well, I'm not, I don't deserve it. You're right. You don't. And neither do I. We are not deserving but we have been counted worthy. And see, Jesus proved it all when he paid it all. He proved our worth to him by coming down from heaven, being a man, dying on the cross for our sins. The only one who could do so because he was sinless himself. God showed us his love when Jesus died on the cross and he showed us his power when he raised Jesus from the grave. His love for us cost his son's life and his power to forgive us and save us just as if we had never sinned was mighty and powerful, and he proved that when he rose Jesus from the grave. Sin and death do not have power over God. He has power over them. And whatever you're facing, I want to say, come in. Let Jesus come into your heart. Let Jesus come into your life. Say yes to letting him fix the things that are messed up. And boy, is our list long. So it's our decision. And I made that decision a long time ago. And I was running from God for a long time, trying to fill empty spots within me with all kinds of junk that seemed really attractive. And it was, but it was so short-lived. The relationships, the people, the stuff, the substances, the habits, the things that I was watching and doing. It's just like, really, we're going to do this again? I mean, how long can you live on that cycle? And I know a lot of us in this room know what that's all about. I finally was exhausted But God was not. He was right there. I had been stiff-arming him for years, and still he was there saying, anytime, anytime, buddy. I don't know if he said buddy. I don't know what the Hebrew word for buddy is, but uh, (laughs) I don't know. Um, I sound like Jabba the Hutt. Okay. See, God doesn't want to take away the things that are important to me. He wants me to share them with him. I want to live my life in such a way that Jesus is the center of attention. The opinions of people, the Bible calls it the fear of man, that's a stumbling block to the adventure that I want to be on. And once I have said yes to Jesus, it has been an adventure that I do not regret, and I haven't regretted it for a moment. I haven't been bored in 17 years. I mean, like it's, it's wonderful. Character, it's a second place that God wants to invite us to take 
our faith to the next level. Character is setting ourselves apart. Asking questions like this, who is my Lord? What are my motives? Am I really authentic or am I just hiding? Connecting with God is an adventure in cleansing. Fancy biblical word for this is sanctification. Letting God do the cleansing work that we can't do on our own. Partnering with him to see the new life that he has in store for us. Peter had a passionate heart and blunt honesty. At the Last Supper, uh, we're going to read in John 13. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go, and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Crickets chirping. After the meal, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, You do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, Unless I wash you, you have no part of me. I love it. Just Peter is like manic, man. I mean, this is before there were labels and medications for this kind of business. I mean, Levi, Levi, uh, Peter was just passionate. He's just like, no, you'll never wash my feet. No, no, no. Peter, unless I wash you, you'll have no part of me. All right, then wash everything, my hands and my head. Wash everything. Dude, dude, put your clothes back on, all right? This is a, this is a family service, okay? So, uh, you know, here's Peter. I mean, in a moment, no, you'll never wash my feet. Yes, wash everything right now, please, you know, and... Uh, a person that's had a bath needs only to wash his feet. The rest of him is clean. And then he looked at his disciples and said, you are clean, though not every one of you. Judas was already on the radar. And uh, he's here with his disciples in this intimate moment. And, G- and uh, Peter is just <laughs> bluntly honest. And he had passion, but his character was somewhat lacking because he was selfish. Peter had just begun the adventure of following Jesus, dropping his nets, leaving his fishing for Jesus' purpose for him, but he really had no idea what it would cost him to be a disciple. A disciple is more than a student. A disciple is like an intent adherent to another person. It's becoming like them. And becoming like Jesus is not easy. I will say that it's simple. I will say that, but it's not easy. We'll talk about that in a moment. All right, John 13, we're going to continue. Do you understand What I have done for you, Jesus asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. I love that Jesus... I can't think of a single thing that he's asked us to do in the entire scriptures that he hasn't been willing to do himself. Except husbands love your wives. I mean, maybe that. But uh, Jesus was willing, and he demonstrated anything that he wanted us to do by doing it himself. I like that about somebody. I don't want someone just telling me what to do. I don't want someone coming up here and just talking if they've never done it. But if you've done it, you have authority to say something to me about it. Jesus had authority because, A, he was the son of God. B, he kind of helped make us. But he also was willing to do the things that he was asking us to do. And that's, that's a good deal. Who is your Lord? So <laughs> this is the weirdest thing happened. This, well, I don't know if it's the weirdest, but uh, I got a lot of weird things that happened to me in my life. 
Thank goodness none of them I recorded. Um, I got all ready and I was going out and it was cold, but I didn't want to wear a coat, so I like put on three layers. I put on like the shirt, the undershirt, the shirt, and then I kind of this thing under me. And I'm getting ready to go out and I realized I didn't put on deodorant. <laughs> I'm like, that's not going to work, you know. Uh, I didn't want to take all this stuff off. I felt like that kid in, you know, Christmas story, you know, mm, I got to go to the bathroom, you know. And so I said, Sarah, yeah, what's up? Can you help me put the deodorant on? <laughs> She's like, are you kidding me? I said, dude, I got to roll. I call her dude when I mean business, you know. And, uh, uh, and so, like, I lift, and she's like, okay. I said, here it is. And so she's, I put on deodorant a thousand times. I mean, some of you might <laughs> disagree with me, but, uh, but I have. And here she is putting on deodorant. I mean, I am so ticklish. I'm like, I am laughing and giggling. I can't. She's like, you're, she's like, dude, you're going to get it all over you. I said, go, go. And she, how can it be ticklish if I'm doing it all? If I do this all the time, you know what? You're only, you can't tickle yourself, I don't think. But when someone does it and you're not sure where they're going to go next, it's ticklish and it makes it all weird. Well, then Hannah comes into the room, our daughter, and we're giggling. And Sarah's got her hand up my shirt. And Hannah's just like... I'm out of here. (laughs) See, when we make Jesus our Lord, when we invite him into our life, it's not like we're going to do a whole lot of new things necessarily right away. We're going to do the same things we've always done. We're just going to do them with a fresh purpose and a new passion. And God's going to give us new strength to do the things that we've done. Because no longer are we going to be the center of attention, but now he's going to be the center of attention. So here we are putting deodorant out. I've done that lots of times, but just having someone else involved was a little ox, you know, and so uh, it was just a little strange. Ask my daughter. Um, When we let Jesus in, we're no longer in charge, but we're letting him drive the reason behind why we do things, and it's okay, and it's awkward, but he's good, and we can trust him. If you want to obey the Holy Spirit, then sooner or later we're going to have to trust him. We must move from trying in our own strength to trusting in his strength. And this is the Bible. I just want to encourage you to read your Bible. I need to read the Bible every day. Not because I'm a pastor, because Pastor Tom's got surveillance cameras on us. But, uh, I mean, he's still got a flip phone, so I doubt he'd be into that technology. Um, But I need to. I need the fresh perspective. I need to know that when life is hard, God is still good. I need to be reminded of God's purpose and his power and his plan. I need to see the thing. The the Bible is living and breathing. It's active. God talks about us swallowing the word and letting it dwell deeply and richly within us. And the word is so good. And I just want to say that I just really, I find it unfortunate that so many Christians um, are just not reading their Bibles often enough, and we're letting the loud voices dictate how we think and where we go and what we do. And you guys, oftentimes in this world, the loudest voice is not the true voice. It's the still small voice of the Spirit that's revealed through the Word of God. You know, I got something in this door. They never let me into these doors, but I figure I'm up here. No one's going to rush the stage, so (laughs) sorry. Now, I know I've shown some of you this before. Anybody have one of these bad boys? Oh, yeah. Okay, so this is what my chiropractor recommends for me to straighten out my back, you know, and uh, 
I'm not going to do it because uh, I might not get back up. But uh, my kids have referred to this over the years as daddy's maintenance tube. This is what they do. And so, and so I have to hide this thing because when I'm not around, these kids are going to find this thing. And then they're just using like cosplay, role playing. I mean, they're just bashing each other with this thing. There's pillows all over the living room. This thing's me. They're like defending their couch. Pictures are off the wall. This has been happening for 10 years. I don't know who's teaching the parenting class around here, but I think I need to take it. Um, So, this is a very professional thing, but it's very simple. All right, I'll demonstrate. I'll I'll do that. Okay. Elizabeth, this is the big one. Okay. All right. All you heathens watching old reruns of Sanford and Son. Okay, there we go. You're supposed to... Oh, man, I forgot. Got to suck it in here so it looks good on the camera. Okay, so, you know, I'm just going to... That's what I do. I lay down on that, and I just relax. That's not easy to do, especially when there are children jumping all around your house. But it just lets everything settle back into place, and I'm a natural sloucher, so this is just daddy's maintenance tube. (laughs) That's actually a good good description. It helps me straighten up again. And you know what? That's what the Word of God does for us. It's uh, It's a good way for us to be reminded of the things that are good and right and true. And it affects the posture of our heart. Now, when I come in and I see our kids, I mean, I got mad at them the first few times. But then I'm like, dude, if I was a kid, I would have I would have hidden this one, made dad order another one, and we would have had two of these, and my brothers and I would have gone, all, gone to town with these bad boys. You know, the word of God is also a sword. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. And it's powerful, and it's real, and it's rich. And what could be more culturally relevant than the presence and the power of God. And the truth that is in God's word is greater than any voice you're going to hear from any person in this, in this world or on this planet. God's word is good, and it will not return void. Be in the word. Read your Bible. It's a good deal. Somebody clap while I do something here. Okay. Luke 14. Jesus said, whoever does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Which of you wishing to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost to see if he has the resources to complete it? Otherwise, if he lays the foundation and is unable to finish the work, everyone who sees it will ridicule him, saying, this man could not finish what he started to build. Well, I don't want to be that guy. I want to be a guy that knows what it's going to take and then can finish it. And that's what he's saying. I don't want you merely to be a Christian. I don't want you merely to get into heaven, although I want to be with you forever, my beloved. I want you to be my disciples. I want you to be like my son. I want you to imitate Jesus so that we can represent him to the world around us that I died for, representing Jesus through the lives that we live, the things that we say. In Romans 12, Paul writes, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And that's the word of God. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. If you want to be a disciple more than a Christian, do you just want to sign off on the paperwork to get you the ticket to heaven? Yeah, I get it. Jesus is my Savior. 
I want to say there's so much more to this adventure if you make Jesus your Lord. Not only allow him and ask him to save you, but if you let him lead you, your life will never be the same. And it will be awesome. The adventure will just begin. And God's not going to change everything around you. He's going to use you just the way that he made you to do greater things for him. And if you're introverted, it doesn't mean that you're going to be in front of a stage full of people. But he's going to enhance the way that you write. He's going to take the journal entries that we have and he's going to do greater things with them and speak to us through those things. He's going to take the things that we do in secret and make them meaningful for his kingdom. For those of you who are prayers and intercessors and you, your best time with the Lord is done when nobody's around, God wants to meet you in that place and do greater things. I just want to encourage you, if there's an area in your life or a multitude of areas that Jesus is not leading you, that you know that you're letting him have half access to yourself, go all in. You will not regret it and you will be changed. God sees future you and me and he wants to help us get there in a great way with great grace. One key to success is die. I have shared this before, but it's one of my favorite quotes that I need to remember. C.S. Lewis said, God doesn't want to torment our flesh, our flesh, our selfish tendencies, our sinful desires. He doesn't want to torment us, but usually it's just like, I don't want to do that. I can't stop that. I want to look at that again. I I drank again. I did this again. I can't believe it. (sighs) This is so hard. God doesn't want to torment our flesh. He wants to kill it. It's not about a process as much as it's about surrender. And if I'm dead to me, I'm dead to anything around me. I want to live my life as Christ being my Lord. Dying to myself puts me in a place where God can multiply. When I decrease, God can increase. Only when I'm dead does God receive all of the credit, all of the attention, and all of the glory in my life. If there's still some of me around, then I'm still going to be sniffing out the attention, sniffing out the accolades, making sure that people see all the awesome stuff I'm doing. But only when I decrease can God increase. God wants to use us up so that there's so little left of us and so much more of him. We can have control or we can have growth, but you usually cannot have both. Galatians, Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This is Paul whose name used to be Saul because he was breathing out murderous threats and he was going empowered by the government to kill Christians. God confronted him face to face, knocked him off his donkey, and he cornered him right there on the Damascus Road. And Paul has now written most of the New Testament. And he realizes in humility that God is the king of his heart. And in order for Paul's life to have any meaning at this point, he has to die so that Jesus can be the one who is the Lord. When we finally give everything to God, we will get everything from him in return. Protection, guidance, favor, provision, power, access, joy, peace, purpose. God is good, and hope in him does not disappoint. God doesn't want to take away all of our good stuff. He wants to join us in it and make it great. That's a good word, folks. Second Corinthians, Paul continues. Yes, Paul. <laughs> Though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not weapons of this world. On the contrary, they had divine power to demolish strongholds. 
We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. How do we know what arguments are against the will of God if we're not reading the Bible and seeing what his story says, seeing what his will is, following what his plans for us are? And how can we take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ if Jesus is just a cool concept and is my homeboy? No, I want to make it obedient to Christ and his word so that I can live holy and set apart for him so that God can do everything that he wants to do in me and through me. And the less of me that there is, the greater access he has. You guys, I am not telling you this as somebody that's arrived. I am just telling you that this is something that I am contending for in my life. And if you've had any conversations with me, you know on one hand I'm a nutcase, but on another hand I'm very deep and I want God to receive glory in the middle of it all. And God is every day, every month, every year, he's allowing me to be more free as he's allowing me to be authentic and genuine and transparent with who he is and who I'm not. And when I realize that I am not strong, I realize that his power is made perfect in my weakness. When I realize that I am not the center of attention, that he takes full center stage and becomes the center of attention in my life, and then all of a sudden I'm able to do greater things because he's being able to represent himself through me. I can trust this guy. He ain't perfect, but I can trust him. This morning I'm reading in the book of Acts and in the Psalms. And here he is using Peter to do great things in the book of Acts, and he's using David to write amazing things. These guys are some of the biggest boneheads in Scripture who have done the dumbest things, who have turned away from God completely at one point, and God never gave up his heart for them, his thoughts towards them, and his destiny for them because God wanted his power and his majesty and his son to be revealed through the lives of them. And our sin and our mistakes and our shortcomings, that stuff doesn't surprise him. God's like, okay, what else you got? I can deal with that. Jesus died for that. I'm just waiting for you to come to the end of your rope to stop stiff-arming me and say, are you still there? You bet. You bet, buddy. You bet, sweetheart. I am here. Are you ready? Let me wipe those tears. Let me wipe those tears. Let me calm that storm that's raging in your mind. Let me heal those emotions that have been damaged and tattered and abused. Let me heal that body of yours that is just wasting away. Let me walk with you. God has promised not to lead us to the valley of the shadow of death, but David in the Psalms says, lead us through the valley of the shadow of death. No matter where your darkness leads you, no matter what sad and mad and angry and crippling moments there are in your life, no matter what baggage you brought here, you bring here today, God is good and he is faithful, and he is true, and you can find him in the valley. You can find him in the valley because he is there. He is waiting for you, and he knows what's next. And doggone it, I want to be with someone that I can trust and someone that knows what's next and someone who's bigger than me. God wants to call us to something that's greater than us, and when God calls us something to something that's bigger than we can do on our own, then it's perfect because he can receive all of the attention and all of the glory and there's no way we can do it in our own strength. His power is made perfect in our weakness. Are you weak? Awesome. You're perfect. Are you regretful of all of the dumb things that you've done? Join the club. Let's sign a petition. God, come on. Let's do this thing because it's not about us anymore. It's about him. God doesn't want us just to merely sign the paperwork and get into heaven as by fire. He wants us to know Jesus, to walk with him, to know him, to reveal himself to us, and for him to reveal himself to others through us. And that's going to come as we, as we not only let him save us, but we let him be our leader. We go 
from being a Christian to being a disciple. I don't want to just know Jesus in the power of his resurrection. I want to walk with him in the fellowship of his sufferings. That's the thing is we want the good stuff. We want the miracles. But we're not often ready or willing or even thinking about the hard things. Well, hard stuff's going to happen either way. Dudes, we're living in it. Dudes, I just called you dudes. My apologies if that's okay. But that means I'm serious. We are needy, and he is the need meter. We are sinful, and he is our savior. We are weak, and he is strong. He has proven time again, time and again, that even though we are undeserving of his favor, he still counts us worthy of his son and his love. Praise God for his goodness. When we have strong core values that are based in Scripture, we become way more valuable to other people. Third part is compassion, caring for others. God wants to take us to a new level in our compassion. It's one thing to come to Christ and to be at church and to let God do some inner workings inside of us and developing our character, but compassion... Compassion is connecting with people. It's an, it's an adventure in serving. It's doing something outside of ourselves. It's transformation. It's letting God transform us, not just in our hearts and in our minds, but in the things that we do, in the actions that we, that we participate in. Here's Peter. He's at the tomb. Here we see him again. This guy's all over the map. And the maps are in the back of the Bible, in case you want to know where the maps are, which map he's all over. Okay, Mark 16. Mark says, when they entered the tomb... This is after Jesus had died. Just in case you didn't catch that. (laughs) When they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side. And they were alarmed. But he said to them, do not be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter... He is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Now, why is it so important that they said, go tell his disciples and Peter? I thought Peter was one of the disciples. Well, somewhere in between the lines, Peter made some knuckleheaded decisions. When Jesus needed him most, Peter bailed. Jesus said, before the, tomorrow morning, before the rooster crows to kick off the day, you are going to deny three times that you even know me. Peter said, No! I will never deny you. Even if I should have to die with you, I will never deny you in any way. (laughs) A few hours later, nope, I don't know him. Hey, weren't you with him? No. Your accent's kind of familiar. What are you talking about? I'd do my best rooster impersonation, but it ain't going to (laughs) happen. And all of a sudden, Peter's like, oh, snap. This was real. Mr. Manic fails again just like me, just like you. But God's plans for him weren't over. Go tell, the angel says, go tell his disciples and Peter. He wanted Peter to know that he still wasn't done with Peter. And Peter wasn't about to get his whooping. Peter was about to be restored. And Jesus came to Peter and he met with him. Well, I just want to share a couple things. When you walk in authenticity, people will trust you, and trust is critical. 
Trust is at the heart of any successful relationship, and lack of trust will spoil a relationship quicker than just about anything. Anything we say, do, and touch will bring change because we are changed. Another thing that's important to me that I want to share with you is how you make others feel says a lot about who you are. Great leaders are great listeners. And sometimes compassion is unpredictable. I, there's a man who calls our church office every week. And whoever the pastor on call is that week will get the phone call. I asked him if I could share this story, and he said yes. So a couple weeks ago, three weeks ago or so, I was the pastor on call. And uh, of course, I get the message, oh, Jerry's on the phone. Jerry has not been to church here. Jerry has not come here, but he calls and talks to us every week. And I've talked to Jerry, and I've said, Jerry, we can't do this alone. Buddy, you need to come here. You need to be involved in some relationships. And, well, okay. And, and so I hadn't talked to him in a month or two, and I didn't feel like talking to Jerry. So I get on the phone, I'm like, hey, Jerry, what's going on? And I'm thinking either A, I'm going to scold him for not being here, or B, I'm just going to hurry up and get to the prayer so that I can hang up and get on to things that are really important instead of this guy monopolizing my time. If you think I'm joking, I'm not. So I said, well, Jerry, I said, have you been here? Have you, have you been to City Church on a Sunday? You know, and, oh, no, I haven't been. And, you know, it's just not easy for me to be around people. And I said, well, buddy, you got you to, gotta, well, let me pray for you. And I felt the Holy Spirit say to me, if he won't come to you, can you go to him? He's been calling us for over a year, and none of us have ever met him. And just as I'm about to pray, I didn't even want this to happen. And I said, Jerry, I said, where do you live even? He told me in Madison. I said, could I come and see you? Oh, I reckon that would be good. Okay. So I got his address. And the next morning, I went over to Jerry's house. Still a little bummed, frustrated. What's God doing interacting with me? I'm the pastor on call, not him. (laughs) Glad you see the humor in that. (laughs) So I go there, and it's this low-end apartment building. I pull up into a snowbank, ring the doorbell, and I go up there, and here's this apartment with this mattress in the middle of the living room floor and this old beat-up three-legged chair from the 70s that's worn down to the wood. Garbage cans full of, garbage bags full of ravioli cans strewn around the kitchen and just piles of important papers just stacked around this mattress. He lets me in and quickly goes back to his mattress and kind of puts his head under there and I said, can I sit in this chair? Sure. Sit in the chair. And he said, you're a fine-looking man, but it's just easier if I don't have eye contact with people. So we sat there for an hour. And I was talking with Jerry about all kinds of things. Jerry loves talking about Jesus. 
Jerry knows that he's a sinner. Jerry knows that Jesus is good. Jerry likes, we talked about some of the things that he enjoys. He enjoys train stations and old gas stations. And he loves talking about, we were talking about when we both were kids and learned how to ride bikes. And, and for an hour, I sat there and talked with him. And he probably looked at me for a total of 15 seconds. And the Lord's heart for Jerry was just pouring out on me. And I just spent that hour with Jesus. And at home, we got this recliner that we've been trying to sell. And, and I said, Jerry, I said, I've got a nice, pretty new, brown, big recliner. Kicks back, really cushy. I said, would that interest you? Yes, that would interest me very much. I said, I'm going to bring that for you next week. Could I come back here? I would like that very much. It was getting ready to time for me to go, and I said, can I take some of this garbage out for you? That would be wonderful. I saw myself out, and I was weeping as I walked down the steps of that apartment complex carrying these 80 ravioli cans and I was privileged enough to have an hour encounter with the closest thing I've ever met that compares to Jesus. And God saw this opportunity in the middle of my selfish, fussy attitude. And God said, I want to change this trajectory. And I want to change your heart. And I don't think it was about Jerry as much as it was about me. Well, by the time that I went to visit him next week, there were already people there because he had several broken televisions around the place. Somebody donated a flat screen TV and bought him a brand new pillow top mattress with all the fixings. And the next week we went over there. And he sat in that recliner and reclined back and the biggest smile just went over his face as we started putting the pillowcases and the different things onto his bed. And we laid that bed and we got rid of those mattresses and those chairs. And he laid in that bed like he was in the first class hotel. And he just sat there. And then he got this concerned look on his face and looked at me and he said, why are you doing this? I said, well, you deserve it. He said, I do? I said, well, no. (laughs) But you're worth it. And that concerned look went off his face and I got a sparkle in his eye that I could hardly see before and he went back in and he said, I'm worth it. And we hauled that stuff out to the dumpster. Yeah, that's... And I made a friend that day. And I learned what the heart of Jesus is like in a greater way through compassion that was greater than what I had to give or what I wanted to give in myself. Action is required when it comes to compassion. Well, calling. We're wrapping it up here. Um, Living out our destiny. 
not just doing things for others, but realizing why we were created. Okay, you might want to turn the mic off for a second. I'm going to blow this honker. That is not funny. My kids still say, Dad, why do you want to put snot back into your pocket? Because um, that's what my daddy did. I want to live out my calling. I want to know why I was created. I want to live for God in the deepest of places in my character. I want to love people the way Jesus does. I want to contend for more of his presence. In the book of Acts, Peter is the one who spoke up when the Holy Spirit came. He is the one who preached, and 3,000 people were rescued and saved that day. Peter was the one that God used to choose the disciple that would replace Judas. Peter went around being used by God to pray for healing, and he saw divine healing and miracles. God used Peter to write some of the New Testament. Peter, the one who denied him the night of his betrayal and the night that he was crucified. God doesn't give up when we give up on ourselves. Simply identify what we're good at. That's part of the calling, and just use it for his glory. God wants us to have a clear identity of who we are so that we can actually... (laughs) be better used when it comes to doing what we're supposed to do. All right. This is an adventure. Taking faith to the next level. Letting Jesus be our Lord and letting him get the center of attention. I want to tell a, in just a moment, I'm going to invite the musicians to come back up and we're going to share communion together this morning. I just want to say to you a couple things that have meant much to me. It does not matter where you start, but it matters where we finish. God knows enough to not reveal the whole process to us because if he did, we probably wouldn't sign up. But he wants to reveal our destiny. He told Peter, I want to make you fishers of men. Yes, sir. He saw me as a young bicyclist. I want you to be a good driver someday. So this discipline is important now. God sees something greater than what's happening in our lives right now. And he, in his good-natured fatherhood will bring discipline in order to get what he wants out of us so that our lives can be more adventurous and more hidden in him and he can have his way in and through us. Are you going to make mistakes? Yes. The road to success is paved with mistakes well handled. Don't let your mistakes cripple you. When you learn how to ride a bike and you fell, the person that was instructing you didn't say, well, forget that. You're not ready. No, 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 come on, buddy, come on, sweetie, get back on it, get back on it, you can do it, go, 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 go. And they try to get you going down a hill so that, you know, you kind of work with you. That's how it is. God is like, he's not a strange, he's not surprised when we stumble, when we fall, when we mix, mix things up and get goofy and go off the deep end or whatever. He's like, come on, get back on, let's do this again. Paul says in Philippians 3.10, I want to know Christ. yes to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Don't do anything in public that you don't practice in private. Don't act like you've got stuff all together if you don't. I'm not saying you've got to hide till you become perfect because that ain't going to happen for any of us. But don't act like you're something bigger than what you are in private or I'm going to ask your family members what the real story is. (laughs) Our kids helped us teach the last parenting class last week, 
And so they, our kids, all come up front. And before, and they get a half an hour up there, and before they do this, in front of the whole class, in front of all of these young parents, I say, you guys, I want you to ask anything of my kids that you want to ask. And then I turn to our kids and I say, kids, I'm instructing you to be completely honest with every one of your answers. <laughs> Talk about vulnerability, man. That's, that's yeah. So um, don't proclaim in public what you're not practicing in private. That matters a lot. God, make of us what we cannot be apart from you. Now, I would like the musicians to come up. Oh my goodness, I am in trouble. It's three minutes to ten and oh my goodness. Could I have the communion folks come up? Oh, jeepers. Okay. We'll just keep this between us, all right? Jan Babbler's going to fire me. Okay. Let me just tell you what's going to happen here. We're going to take communion. I'm in trouble. Snap. Doggone it. Okay. Here's the deal. One of the greatest things that we can do is not do things for God, but is to spend time with Him. So we're going to share communion together. So I'm going to invite you to come up. Jesus was talking when we share the bread and the juice. Every time that we do that, that we would remember him. And what, a, what greater opportunity than for us to all be gathered here together to remember him, to remember what he's done on our behalf. Jesus is good, faithful, and true. And the only way that our lives can have true meaning, power, and purpose is if we look to him who is the author of all good things. So as these, as the bread and the juice are passed out, I'm just going to ask that you would hold those things until everybody receives them and we will participate of these things together. Now, you don't have to be a member of this church to remember what Jesus has done for us. So I want to invite you to participate. If Jesus' sacrifice of his body and his blood on the cross means something to you in your heart then I am inviting you to join us for taking communion together today we'll pass out the elements I'll be back with you in a moment our Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed he took the bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and said this is my body which is for you do this in remembrance of me Let's eat the bread together. In the same way, after supper, Jesus took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let us drink the cup together. Let's stand together. 
in a moment of gratitude for who Jesus is and what he has done. Thank you, God, for dying on the cross to forgive us of our sin, to make us right with God and friends with Jesus. Lord, we don't want merely to be rescued, but we're asking you to lead us. We don't want to just see the miracles, Lord. We want to walk in the fellowship of the most intimate encounters with Jesus. Would you be our Lord today? Have your way in us. Speak to us in secret places. Allow us to know you more through your word and give us unique opportunities to extend the compassion of Jesus so that we might walk in true communion with you every day. Amen.